Let us pray. God, we thank you for all who you are. We thank you for continuing to love on us all the way through this last year, all the way through our lives. We thank you for continuing to remind us that you've got us, that you love us, that we're yours, that you're working even in the midst of things. Father, we thank you for that continual love. We thank you that you pursue us with that love because it gives us courage to fight the battles of today, to deal with the struggles of today, to be reminded that all the way through you're by our side. Thank you for the love that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we pray tonight in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So we're going to pick up in chapter 9, verse 30 tonight. Um, But as we do, I'm going to give you two pictures of two different people. I'm going to give you the picture of the Jews as Jesus came on the scene. These were a people that rejoiced in being children of Abraham, right? Children of Abraham inherited everything. They were God's people, And they were proud of that, almost arrogant about that, viewing everybody else, the Gentiles, as less than. They were given this law of which they had to follow. We've spent some time from Genesis to Numbers. I mean, they had to follow this law. That was God's command. Now, it was a whole sacrificial system built around the fact that they couldn't follow it perfectly to receive that forgiveness of God so that it would make them right before him. Remember, we talked about that. And they knew that if they blew off God completely, bad things would happen invading armies, sometimes even being exiled from their land for years and years and years. The people during Jesus' day had just come back, well, not just come back, but they had become, they'd come back from that years earlier, well aware of God's punishment, well aware of God's paying attention of what they were doing as the nation of Israel. So they were very aware of a couple things. They were very aware that they were God's kids. They were very aware, as long as they didn't blow it too bad, that God would keep them in that land according to his promise. And they were very aware of their sin. And you have evidence of that as John the Baptist came on their scene. People who had been trying and trying and trying, and when they went to their pastor, was told to try harder, felt the weight of the sin of not measuring up, of feeling less than of continually coming to grips with the reality that they weren't making it according to the law, and they were fearful of God's vengeance, and they were fearful that something bad would happen in their life. So Jesus comes on the scene, and what does Jesus offer but forgiveness? Believe in me and be saved. That's what he says. You don't have to climb to the top of a highest mountain. You don't have to swim across the ocean. Just believe in me and be saved. Now for some... Hearing that message was salvific, especially the ones that were cognizant of their sin. And they grabbed, hope of the ho- it grabbed hold of the hope that Jesus was offering, that forgiveness was possible for all of their sins, that being made right before God was something he could do through the Messiah. And they gave their lives over to him. But for some, because of the arrogance of their position before God, because of being God's people, because Vengeance hadn't happened and they were still in the land. They resented Jesus for not only saying that they needed forgiveness, though they knew that to be true, but that somehow he could offer them a rightness with God. And for whatever reason, they could not, would not believe in him. Then you got the Gentiles who are all messed up. They were pursuing a law of their own, to be honest, a law removed from God's truth, and so kind of a law they were making up as they go. That kind of law is almost always rife with sin. Think about even today, I think it lends examples of it. We live in a time where there is a law that celebrates the mass murder of children and abortion. 
It's part of our law, part of what we've come to a society of saying this is a good thing, right? In the name of women's rights or women's ability to choose, we've excused all sorts of devastation upon generation after generation. In the name of racial equity or racial equality or whatever, we now live in a society where it's okay, even after we lived through the civil rights movement of the 60s, where it's all right to be racist against somebody, to judge somebody, to hate somebody because of the color of their skin. Weirdly, it's the whites that are receiving this kind of treatment today. We live in a society where any kind of sexual dysfunction in the name of civil rights, again, is not only okayed, but celebrate it from the rooftops. You see, whenever we come up a law, what a man does what he thinks is, or what does it say? A man uh, does what, thinks, what he thinks is right for him, but in the end it leads only to death. We come up with these laws apart from God's truth, and we can come up with the most horrendous kind of things, but in the name of justice or rightness or equality or you name it, we can do all sorts of evil. So this is the Gentile nation, not just of today, but the Gentile nation of that day too. They weren't even pursuing Jesus, didn't even think to look for Jesus. But here's the thing, whenever we pursue sin, there's a a natural consequence. Oh, the other thing I need you to help me remember today is Mike put two uh, pieces of tape on the floor here in an effort to video better, I guess, I need to stay between them. So if I go past this point, I, seriously, I need you to raise your hands to bring me back. And if I go past this point, I need you to raise your hands. Now, only one person in the 930 has helped me so far, so I need you guys to help me. All right. All right where was I? Okay. So, 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 so both in today's world and in the Gentile world of that day, people came up with their own law. Now, one of the consequences, one of the, just the realities, I don't care about the realities of today, but the realities of, of just living life, one of the truisms of life is whenever you pursue sin, there's negative consequences, just like today. The people of that day were experiencing the consequences of pursuing sin in their culture. They were reaping the devastation relationally and mentally and emotionally in all sorts of spectrums. They were very acutely aware of the devastation and the misery of their lives due to some of these poor choices that they were making. Whether they could draw the line from the sin to their misery or not, they knew they were in need of some kind of salvation. And Jesus came. All those who will believe in me will receive everlasting life. And moved by God in some incredible way, they grasped hold of that truth of God and they came, it seems, in mass to the gospel, which only further infuriated, infuriated this group over here, the, the Jews, who were already very proud and arrogant of their faith. How dare Jesus be offering our spot before God to all these others. Now you think that's such a weird thing. How in the world could they get so stuck in either of those two places? We see the Gentile world of their day in our day. But don't we also see some of the, the Jewish way or the pharisaical way? I, I share this story all the time, but my buddy was asked, are you going to heaven? He says, I think I've been good enough. I think I've been good enough. As if somehow his salvation is based on how he performs. I think I've been trying enough. Some churches say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really a believer. Some people say if you can't remember the date that you came to faith, you're not really a believer. They keep putting all these other things in front of the label just Jesus, creating stumbling blocks, 
create artificial things that they have to manufacture or do before they can be right with him. But Paul comes to us tonight and he says, no, to both sides, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's based on what he's done, not on what you do. It's based in your trust in this one Jesus that saves. So we begin with chapter 9, verse 30, and Paul writes, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. They clung hold of the promise of Christ. They believed and they were made righteous before God. But that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness, man, they were amazing people. They were trying to be good in everything that they did. They, they continued to, to follow the law. In fact, they put laws around the law so that they could even be better than the law suggested. You know, They did all sorts of things trying to get it right. So Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because we are sinful in nature. No one can be perfect before God. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, a trust in Christ, but as if it were based on works. Do you see that I shared this in the morning sermon, but every action that we do is based on what we believe to be true. The fact that you sat down on the seat today without testing them out means that you absolutely believed that chair was going to hold you up. That's absolutely true. Everything we do, sometimes it's the belief that we're not going to get caught. Sometimes we believe it's, it's based on the belief that, oh, it can't be that bad. Whatever it is, at that moment, we're acting on what it is that we believe. If there is no evidence of belief, it should be red flags screaming back and forth. Something's in error. Something's wrong here. Look at this. Look at this. Before all is lost. So it says this in verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Think about God's law as one of the, the greatest gifts he's given us. I mean, not as great as Jesus by far, but just a great gift. If you follow this way, it will protect you. It, it will keep you safe from all sorts of evils that you bring upon yourself. It, it will result most of the time in blessing as a result of following my ways. I mean, just like Dave Ramsey says, you follow these principles and it should work out, right? Same as following with God's laws. He gives them to us because he loves us, because he wants to protect us, because he knows how we're wired, what we need, and what it is that works for us as we go through this life. If we truly trusted that, we would follow them. If we truly trusted that, man, we could have been like Jesus and been perfect, right? If we truly trusted. Our problem is that we don't pursue it in faith or in trust, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled, as Mike talked about, over the stumbling stone, which is Jesus. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a stumbling and a rock of offense, Jesus, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Jews, I don't know, they just couldn't get past the fact that this street preacher named Jesus was saying that he was the Messiah. He was right a lot. I mean, he did amazing things. He was healing people. Nobody just could discount that. But man, in their minds, the Messiah was going to be a king. He was one that's going to rid the shackles of Rome. He was one that they were going to look up to, not down to. And in their pride and in their arrogance, they missed out on the Savior of the world. He was a stumbling block to them. He couldn't, they couldn't seem to get past. But whoever would believe in him will not be put to shame. 
So my buddy said, I hope I'm good enough. And I said, man, you're not, a, you're not even close to being good enough, right? None of us are. But Jesus was. You put your faith in Jesus. And when you go before and stand before God and have to give an account of your life, it's not any of the to-dos anymore. I believe in Jesus. And God, seeing our heart, he declares you perfect in his sight. He declares you righteous. That relationship that was broken has been mended. You get entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Your prize, your reward is at your, is at your fingertips. It's based on Jesus' perfection, his righteousness. And out of gratitude for that, Jesus says, hey, follow me. Out of everything I've done, out of the reality that your salvation is now secure, if you wondered if you could die tonight and be 100% sure that you're going to heaven, all you have to look at is Jesus. Was he sufficient? Yes. Is he your savior? Yes. If those two things are true, you're going to be with God in paradise. The rest of this stuff, his following, is really for, our, again, our protection, for our blessing, for our good, and to show, Jesus says this all the way through, show God that we love him in return. And yet, even in that when you get it wrong, our salvation is still based on Jesus. Isn't that the most incredible thing? When you start thinking about that, that's why it's good news. He's freed us from ourselves, right? He's freed us from having to be perfect all the time. He's freed us from all that weight, all that responsibility. And now it's just about Jesus. And if we truly believe what we really believe is really real, then we can't help but be moved by what Jesus has done. And out of love, out of just adoration for the guy, out of the knowledge that everything he asks for, uh, from us is for our good and for our protection. We try to follow, knowing that we're going to get some bumps and bruises along the way, but we keep trying to follow. See, being a disciple of Jesus is about trust and about trying. It's about trust, which receives, helps us receive our heavenly reward, and it's about trying to follow this God that loves us more than we can comprehend. In chapter 10, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I, I start thinking about that, and it's not just the Jews. There's all sorts of people that used to be in the church that I know that I want saved. There's neighbors that I have. There's siblings that I have. There's relations that I have. There's, there's friends that I have. All sorts of people out there that I, I want to be saved. Anybody like that? You just got people that you want to be in heaven? I mean, there's all sorts, of, and I pray for them all the time. And to be honest, I take every opportunity God gives me with them to kind of start talking about Jesus again. Why? Because I want them in heaven. I want to have those conversations that make them think. I want to do anything and everything I can so that one day we can hang out forever in eternity with them. My buddy says again, he says, you get some kind of prize if, if you get me to go to heaven? I said, yeah, I get to hang out with you for eternity. Kind of a booby prize, but I get to do that. It's exciting for me. But that's why I keep trying. And you know what? He knows that's why I keep trying. So we continue to have this amazing friendship. Then God, or Paul continues and says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to his knowledge. I think that's an interesting thing. In our culture, I think there's just that whole idea of having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I think of the jihadists, and one of the things that they share with the jihadists is that if you sacrifice yourself and blowing yourself up, not only will you ensure for yourself paradise before Allah for all of eternity, but You'll get to take all of your family too. 
I mean, think about that. In a culture where you're scared to death that Allah is going to be wrathful toward you, you can secure an eternity in paradise, not just for you, no matter how bad you've been, but for all of your family. Certainly it's a zeal for God, isn't it? I mean, they're willing to sacrifice their lives. It's just, it's not according to the knowledge of Scripture, not according to the truth of God. I even think sometimes of my, our Catholic brothers and sisters, right? There's this whole idea of, of purgatory and this idea that you can work your way down in purgatory so that you can go on to the next spot. So you do masses and you can do prayer vigils and you can light candles and you can do all sorts of different things to sort of accumulate points to lessen their time in purgatory. It's a zeal for God. There's a ton of effort that goes in, is involved in it. The only problem is it's not according to the knowledge of Scripture. It's not according to the truth of God. I think of my buddy, Mike, who's now convinced that God's ways are the right ways. He's not going to give himself to God yet. I, I, I mean, usually the law part's the hard part about following God. But he's just found it to work. Like, he's found it when he follows the stuff that I tell him from Scripture, his life turns out better. So he's all excited. He had a chance to lie and go get the COVID shot early, but he called me up and he says, I don't think that's right. And what I've learned from you, Mike, is that, you know, there's kind of a karma thing involved. If I do the wrong things, bad things happen. If I do the right things, right things happen. I say, hey, it's not karma, but you're getting it, buddy. That's good, you know? But again, that's a, that's a, a zeal, maybe not for God, but for following his truth. Again, it's just not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own ways, their own rules, they did not submit to God's righteousness, which is Jesus. That's why it says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Again, it's not about creating things, extra things to be right with God. It's about Jesus. That's it. I mean, game over. That, that's what it's all about. If you have Jesus, you have forgiveness. If you have Jesus, you have reconciliation before God. If you have Jesus, you have heaven for eternity. Yay, Jesus. The rest of the stuff is good stuff probably protects us from bad decisions. It, it keeps us safe. That's what God's law is for. It also shows our love and our care for God as well. It's just not specific. He goes on in verse 5 and then says, For Moses writes uh, about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart that I will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down, or will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? That the word is near you, and in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. So he's just saying here, it doesn't matter, even if you could go up to heaven, climb the highest mountain, cross the biggest ocean, conquer the biggest army, it, none of that matters. It's only received through faith. If you can be perfect, it matters. <laughs> But short of that, it's only through faith in Christ that we can be saved. And then he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice there's no works in that statement. If you trust, if you believe Jesus with all your heart, you get it. For with the one heart for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. We're living at a time where there's, ah, as people walk away from the church, probably increasing persecution. Right? We feel it in different ways. You feel it in the media now. You used to just feel it in judgment from other people. 
might risk relationships if you share stuff. Now maybe there's some laws that we cross if we share too much at certain places. But there'll be increasing persecution. But no matter what you face as persecution here on this life, and no matter what shame you may feel as a result of it, you will never be put to shame because of Jesus, because in the end, you will stay with him forever in eternity. You have everything right now. You have eternity. You have your prize and your reward. You have God walking with you every step of the way. You have his comfort. You have his strength. You have his forgiveness. You have the hope that comes through him. You have everything. Don't ever give it away. Nobody, by the way, can take it from you. Again, Satan can't take it from you. No person can take it from you. You have everything. That's why we're willing to die for Christ, because we know our eternity has been secured in our spot before him. So then he goes on and says in verse 12, um, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no racism in heaven. There's no genderism in heaven. There's just people in heaven. God loves people, all people. He just does. He, and anybody who trusts in Jesus, who loves Jesus, who believes in Jesus with all their heart is going to be saved. And so he says, nobody has any benefit before me because again, it's not based on what you do. It's based on whom you trust. But then he says this, how then will they call on him whom, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I had a neat conversation with somebody the other day, a theological conversation, and they were, you know, they were worried about end times kind of stuff, and they were worried about it's just a disillusionment of the church, not the dis dissolving of the church, I guess I meant to say. So they're just worrying that as people walk away from the God, it's going to get harder and harder and the church is going to become less and less effective and it's just going to go away. And he goes, well, why even try anymore? You know, is kind of the sentiment. And I said, because of the Holy Spirit, because of God's promise, because it's not dependent upon us, it's depending on God working in the hearts of man. And as long as we can keep those preaching stations open that are sharing and conveying the truth of God, God's gonna do the work in people's lives and is gonna bring them to faith one by one as they sit in those seats or as they listen online or as they come into contact with a Bible study. Because that's the truth of it. You hear stories, and you don't know how much of it's true, but you hear so many, you think there's something to them, about people in the Middle East having Jesus appear to them in a vision because there's really nobody preaching the gospel out there much. But they get a vision of Jesus, and they stumble into the nearest church they can find, and they say, I have this vision. And the pastor is able to open up who Jesus is for them in real terms, and they become believers. Now think about that. That's in a place where there's hardly anybody preaching it out there, at least not publicly because of the, just the dangers that are involved. In America, we got churches everywhere. There's a lot of Bible preaching churches still available all over America. And every week they go out and they proclaim the message of Christ. And now most of those churches are online. I mean, it's flooded with different pieces of word of God all over the place. One of the reasons I love what we, what we watch God do with, with Holy Cross is we saved a preaching station. 
through your putting him first, through God's just amazing way of working, through, through John's patience and, and, and caring endurance in, in that church, we have watched God do an amazing thing. A church that was destined to close, and there's no joke about that. Turned it around, was financially solvent this year, amazingly, added to their savings this year, amazingly, and grew in numbers, in-person numbers, even over the year before, which is almost, well, clearly unheard of, at least in our church, right? And it's all because we were able to walk side by side with them and let God do his thing. The reality, and I shared this in the first, ser- or first few services, is that you're putting God first this year with your prayers, with your giving, with all of that. Save two churches, not one. And now God's putting in an opportunity for us to start a new church in the North Valley, which there aren't very many churches in that area, and there's thousands of houses going up all the time. And if God provides that, he's provided yet another preaching station in this valley of which the truth can be preached on a regular basis. I share this when you're sharing your faith, right? Don't put all the weight on you. Put it on Christ. Just open your mouth and speak. That's the way they did it in the New Testament. They would go and Paul would just start speaking, right? And whoever God had predestined, right, or, or worked on prior to hear that word came to faith because of that word. And one of the ways that you're going to change the valley is you're going to keep those preaching stations open that are preaching the truth. And we're going to trust God to do his thing and one by one by one hopefully collect people into the kingdom of heaven who will hear and then believe. And if it's going the other way, it just means that we, and we're still here, it just means he still has purpose for our church. And we're going to be cherry picking at the end before the end comes. And we're going to preach. And we're going to let God do his thing. And people are going to be saved for eternity. That's why the church exists, to continue to preach the message of Jesus Christ in truth, in purity, so that the Spirit can do his thing, so that the Spirit can work. And that's what Paul's saying here. Don't get in the way of Jesus. Make it just about Jesus. When you start preaching, make sure they understand it's Jesus who saves. And it's not about all the other stuff. It's not about the red carpet, green carpet, or how good you look in your suit. It's about Jesus. But then he goes on and says, but have they not all obeyed the gospel? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? And somebody's, he's just pretending somebody's asking this. Indeed, they have heard, for their voice has gone out into all the earth and the words of the, to the ends of the world. Now, he was sharing that about the message of Christ at that point. But the reality, how much more can we say that today? The Bible is translated into more languages, more dialects than ever before. There's very few out there in the world today that it hasn't been translated into. You have radio stations getting into almost every part of the world. There's people projecting the word of God into the Middle East over and over and over from all different sides. You got radio stations, you got TV stations, you got, you got the internet that has massive amounts of content online now. There's very few places, even on that deserted island that we keep talking about, there are very few places in this world that haven't at least had opportunity to hear a message of Christ. The Bible's never been more in print. (laughs) The reality of our culture, at least in America, is that the biblical literacy has never been greater. (laughs) The Bible's everywhere. We just don't know what it says. The message is everywhere, almost on every street corner in addition to online, but we don't go. So you get to the point where you're saying, has anybody heard? 
right? Does anybody care? And Paul says, yeah, absolutely. It's gone to the ends of the ages, or it's gone to the ends of the earth and being proclaimed. But then he says, but I asked, did Israel not understand? And maybe they just don't understand, he says. First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation and and with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Weren't the Gentiles foolish to the things of God? They didn't understand the ways of God. The secular culture knew nothing of God. And yet when Jesus came and proclaimed forgiveness of sins, they flocked to that truth. And the world was changed because of it. Then Isaiah is so bold to us to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The reality is that you don't know when you get up on Sunday or Saturday or whenever it is and you start preaching the word, who it's going to touch that day. You just trust that God will do his thing and the people that need to hear but you keep on preaching because you don't know who even that is. It could be a stranger that comes off the street. It could be anybody. And sometimes the people you're trying the most with, my friend Mike, you know, my sister, the people like that, sometimes they're not the ones that I get to see the fruit with. It's all these other people that I, as, as, I, as Isaiah says, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have been shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But again, as Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient, contrary people. The message of Christians should be God loves you and he has a better way for you. He's offered you forgiveness of sins so that you can be with him for eternity. Man, that seems like such a simple message, right? But I think it's largely, it's lost in our culture. One of the devious things that Satan has brought into this world right now is this, he's confused people as to the nature of why we need Jesus. In this postmodern world where nothing is really wrong, it's just how you feel about it, We've lost this concept of sin. We've lost this concept of rebellion against God. We've lost this sense that that God has a standard that we're not meeting. And though we feel the consequences, just like the Gentile nations, of that sin and of the consequences to that, we no longer seem to be able to draw the line between our consequences and the dumbness or the foolishness that we're pursuing But if people don't understand their sin, they certainly don't understand why Jesus needs to save them. So our message needs to change, not in truth, but we need to start sharing it in ways that people can understand, in ways that they can hear. We need to tailor the message toward our audience almost today, almost as if we're counseling or sharing something that we, as a teacher, we desperately want them to understand. We have the message of life. We have the message that gives hope and peace. Our world is craving for those things. And when we get the opportunity, we need to somehow share how Jesus is the answer. Somehow share how Jesus is the hope and why he's worth dying for and why he's worth living for and why we worship him. We can't just give out platitudes any longer. The world doesn't receive them. We need to show Jesus in real terms how he makes a difference in their life. And then in verse, well, we'll stop there because we go into chapter 11 next week. All right, so let me pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, man, having him be sufficient. We thank you for the fact that he did everything because that relieves us of all the concern and all the stress and all the worry of being saved. It reminds us that you've got us in literal terms as we walk through this life. 
that you've even built into this understanding that we're sinners and need to redeeming and that we're going to continue to blow it. It's not like you saved us thinking we were going to be perfect. You saved us knowing that we were going to struggle. But your call to us is always the same. Follow me. It will go better for you if you follow me. You will protect yourself. You will experience more blessing. You will experience less harm. Follow me. Just as a parent asked that of his child, (laughs) not only so that the child would obey them because they said it, but that they would trust the parent that this would be for their good. God calls out to us to follow him, not for our salvation, but so that our life on this earth could be less cumbersome, less painful, less hard. So, Father, as we study this whole area of Romans, we just ask, give us wisdom. And here's the thing, help us trust you more. Because the more we trust you with our lives, with our behaviors, the more you promise to give us peace and forgiveness and strength and hope to deal with this very crazy world that we live in. And Father, that's our prayer today. Increase our trust in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Guys, go with this blessing. May our Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious always unto you. And may he look upon you now with his favor and grant you forever his peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Should arise for our final song.